Great to have you here. Aaron, just before your sixth birthday, you were out playing with friends and your older brother when you suddenly found you couldn't breathe. So tell us the amazing story of what you experienced that day. Right. So I was just uh, playing with some friends in the uh, neighbor's backyard. And, uh, you know, I, I developed a breathing problem. I, I couldn't breathe no matter what I did. And uh, as I struggled to breathe, I, I walked away from my friends and I became more and more upset and, uh, you know, just, just despondent that I, I couldn't breathe. And this breathing problem triggered, uh, you know, it, it, it triggered a, a release of my soul. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't pass out or faint. But my my soul actually left my body, uh, and when that happened, I witnessed, uh, you know, I was outside my body, and I witnessed my body fall to the ground, mm. and uh, you know, immediately I knew something something major had happened, and I I looked back at my friends, and they were they were still doing what they were doing, and uh, completely oblivious to to me, and uh, at that time, uh, what had seemed so so important to me, um, you know, just before this this happened. It now seemed almost trivial and um almost immediately after uh leaving my body my my entire life of, of almost six years replayed uh it, it replayed for me in uh extreme detail you know i i re-experienced everything that i had experienced during those six years of life um the the difference is that uh, now, in addition to uh, replaying, you know, re-experiencing what I had experienced, I also got to uh, feel uh, the feelings and experience of, of those around me, you know, how I had affected them. And, you know, being six years old, the uh, uh, the, the primary uh, impact I had was on my parents. And so I could, could you know, experience what they had felt from, uh, you know, raising me. And a couple of things stood out. One was uh, my mother's love for me that really stood out. Uh, it, it seemed spontaneously, uh, simultaneously uh, very important and yet very minor in the grand scheme of things. And somehow that both of those uh, stood out. Uh, but, it, but it seemed like that love was, was important, like, um, like it really mattered. Um, and then also uh, my, my father loved me too, but, all, but, but what stood out from him was the the frustration of of having a baby, you know, the uh, the the crying, the screaming, changing the diapers, uh, his frustrations and anger associated with that really really stood out. Um, and uh, you know, when, when that when that spontaneous replay of my life was over, and I was done looking at it, um, it seemed like those six years was was almost nothing, like it was trivial. Um, like I hadn't really done anything in those six years. Like it was, it seemed, it felt very, very brief. Um, like it had been a, a short life. Um, but you know, it, it was what it was. And, um, as I, I floated there next to my body, I noticed a, a light in the distance and I knew that this light was important. Um, you know, it looked like a, uh, it looked like a solitary star, but I, I knew it wasn't a star. Uh, it had an importance to it, but I didn't understand what that was. And I, I couldn't remember. Um, and, you know, I feel like maybe I could have gone towards that light, but I didn't. I, I just stayed there next to my body and I, I focused my attention uh, away from that light. And um, I, I uh, had the I had, had the question, you know, uh, what am I? And, um, you know, here, here on Earth, we can't really see ourselves. But there there is a spirit. I was able to look at myself. And I was a uh, like a round orb, 
of 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 energy, I guess. Um, there is a a faint light coming from uh from within my myself, and uh, there there was more complexity to just the, uh, around orb, but I, I didn't understand it and I, I couldn't explain it. Um, but you know that that's what I looked at as I was kind of floating around there in uh, my neighbor's backyard, and the uh, you know the 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 backyard had been you know, a well-manicured lawn that was cut like you'd see in suburbia. But here in this, uh, what I guess was a, a spiritual plane of existence parallel to our physical realm, uh, there was still grass and houses, but but it, it looked kind of disheveled. The, the grass was like unmowed and uh, kind of, there was kind of some weeds and stuff. Um, anyway, I, I started to have more questions. And as I would have a question, the, uh, the spiritual answer would come to me. Uh, and and it it was almost like I was re-experiencing something I had previously experienced, but it was in extreme detail, and uh, um, you, you know it, it was very clear that this is this was something I had previously experienced. But but the uh, answer to my question was me uh, re-experiencing what I had previously experienced. So anyway, I had the thought, um, you know, where did I come from? Where did I start? And this spiritual memory came to me and it, it's like I, I re-experienced this uh, event that I had previously experienced. And um, it started as I was back um, in what I what I would call a sea of souls. I, I was a soul just like I had, uh, like, like I existed um, as I just described, but I was with hundreds or, or thousands of other souls and we all existed in this, uh, um, this very, I, you know, I, I would call it a sea of light. We were all together. There was light everywhere. It was very bright. Um, we were, um, I don't know, immature and naive. Uh, we, we we were happy and content. Uh, not not like extremely happy, but but we were content and we were safe. And uh, it was like nothing could ever go wrong. Everyone was content. We all knew each other, and we were were basically friends. Um, and as we existed like this, periodically. A, uh, a treat would come to us. Um, there would be one treat for every soul and we enjoyed getting these treats and, and, you know, they, they made us happy. I don't, I don't understand what they were, but, but somehow we would periodically get these treats and, and it, it was something that made us happy. Um, anyway, one time uh, these, these treats came and there was one fewer treats than there were souls and everyone, all the souls knew this and uh, I, I knew it. And, I knew that that these souls were, were just like me and that they wanted a treat. And so I conscious I made the decision that I would forgo the treat so that everyone else around me could have the treat because they were just like me and I knew that they wanted the same things that I wanted. And as soon as the last treat came down to the last soul, I was very, very gently and carefully lifted up out of this uh, sea of souls and a, a higher level consciousness uh, contacted me mentally. And communicated that you know what I had done was was very important. That it was uh it was a big deal that I had sacrificed something I wanted to help those around me. Uh, that that was very important. And uh, this higher level uh, entity or, or mind said that uh, it had created me and that I was loved and important and and that you know all the other souls were loved and important also, and that um, you know. I view this as my creator, but I'll just, I'll just call it, call it God for simplicity's sake. And God said um, that there was a wonderful existence prepared for me and that by 
uh, sacrificing this thing that I wanted for my, you know, the friends around me, that that indicated that I was ready for, um, uh, I guess, further training or, or education or, or some sort of, I was ready for something. And I said, well, okay. And God said, uh, you know, there, there was an experience prepared for me that would, um, you know, give me what I needed so that I could uh, fully appreciate all the happiness that, that God had in store for me. And I asked, um, you know, couldn't you, couldn't you just change me and make me uh, however I need to be so that I can enjoy this, uh, what, what you have for me? And God uh, responded, absolutely. God was capable of changing me and, and, uh, and all these other souls to be, um, to be like that, but that we were created uh, with free will and that it was extremely important that we have free will, that, uh, you know, we weren't created to be mindless um, uh, slaves to God or to, to do exactly what God wanted, but rather we were made to be free and able, able to make our own decisions. And that, that was very important. And that, you know, God was, was and, and you can really feel this, but God was, you know, loving and kind and compassionate and forgiving and, uh, you know, wise and extremely intelligent and powerful. Uh, everything you can, all the positive, positive traits you've ever heard about God, that's, that's totally what, uh, you know, I felt re relating to him, but essentially we were, you know, created as free will beings and that in order to enjoy all this stuff that, that God had in store for us, we needed to freely embrace these kinds of traits, you know, being loving, kind, compassionate, forgiving nice, you know, all the traits like that, that, that we would need to freely accept those through our own decisions to be that kind of a, a soul. And that in order to appreciate all the happiness God had in store for us, we needed to freely choose those things without coercion or uh, being forced to do so. So I, I said, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. So before I was to be sent on this, this journey, God asked if I wanted to see God's face. And I said, okay, you know, sure. And so my attention was turned away from these souls that I, I had been with and, uh, you know, these simple souls uh, and turned towards a, a giant sun-like entity. And there was billions and billions of souls all together in this entity. And they were extremely happy. You know, it, it was very similar to the sea of souls I had been in, except that these souls were more mature and they were much, much happier. And um, some of these souls kind of like came to the surface to wish me well and say hello and kind of like welcome me into this existence or whatever. And they were extremely happy. And, and to take their attention off of what they had been doing to, to focus it on me and, and communicate with me, they were still extremely happy. Uh, but it was actually, it's like it lowered their, their happiness a little bit to be talking to me, the simple soul. <laughs> um, anyway... They understood what I was about to go through and they, they wished me well. And they, they said that, you know, when I was through with, with my experience that I would join them, that I would eventually get through what I had to go through and I would come back and, and join them. And so, you know, I, I said, okay. So God asked me if I was sure, sure that I was willing to, to go through this experience. Uh, God said that it would be very difficult, but it would be very short so short and the confidence that god had in this plan that, that he had had made was uh was immense god was extremely confident that this was a good plan and that you know 
everything had been done the way it should be, and that this was a good idea. Okay, God, God had no question about whether or not this was a good idea or, or something that was worthwhile. So I, I agreed to it, and, and God was very pleased that I agreed to it. And I was then like very quickly, I was off like zooming away to uh, to, to whatever this experience is. And I was shown um, thousands and thousands of different places I could go, different, uh, I, I guess, planets that I could go to. I could understand the, the basics of what I needed to understand about each of these planets in like a fraction of a second. There, there was, uh, you know, I had a, a, an immense level of understanding at, at that point. And I don't know, you know, the detail. I don't remember any of the details of any of these other planets, only that there was a huge number of them. And that from a spiritual perspective, going to one planet is, is about the same as going to the other. You know, it's a, it's a similar process of a, of, of a physical life, but, there was something about earth that I, I saw that I really liked and I was just positive that this was the place for me. And so I you know, I, I said, this is where I want to go. And I was asked, are you sure, you know, any, any decision I, I made that I was always asked, are you sure? And when I agreed, then that was it. The, the decision was made. So I agreed that, yes, I was sure I wanted to come to earth. And at that point, the spiritual memory ended, you know, this, that, that memory answered my question. How did I get here? And, you know, I was back to floating, uh, next to my, next to my body. And I had, a, you know, another question as I, as I just kind of floated there and me meandered about, you know, how did I become Aaron Green? You know, how, why was I this person? And so again, a, a memory came to a spiritual memory came to be something that I had previously experienced. It replayed for me in, in extreme detail. So I had been with, uh, some guides who were helping plan this life. And the guides, they were helping me pick a body, I guess. And they showed me this, this person I could become. And it was a, it was going to be an extremely angry person. And I don't remember the details, but I think there was something about this person's childhood that, that was going to be difficult and that, that that would cause them to be an angry person growing up. And, and I just completely rejected it. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And the guides respected that. And so they, they shifted to a, what I think was a nearby family. And I was shown some parents that, that I thought seemed nice. And I was shown, shown that, Hey, you know, I, I could be one of the, you know, one of their children. And so being the guides, we started looking at the different bodies that were available, the different people I could become. And after seeing the angry person that I could have become, you know, I was concerned that I could be, uh, that, that I could grow up to hurt people that I could be mean or, uh, you know, mistreat people. And so I wanted to be a female because I felt like they were less likely to, to hurt somebody. And I felt that my parents could have a, uh, they had the genes there that they could have a redheaded child. And I knew that, you know, redheads were, were kind of rare, that it wasn't common. And that really appealed to me. I really wanted to be something unusual or unique. And that was available to me, but it was also self-evident that, you know, if I had became a redheaded girl, that there was something about the personality I would have as, as this girl where, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'd be kind of socially awkward. Something about it wasn't quite right. And I wouldn't, I, I would never have a husband. And that was a problem for me. I wanted to have a, get married and have a spouse. But if I had chosen one of these redheaded girls, something about it didn't work out and it, it just wasn't possible. So I took a look at the, the redheaded boys that, that this couple could have. 
And somehow there was like, there's even fewer options for, for boys, for redheaded boys. And it just didn't, it just didn't work out at all. They're, they're just, it wasn't the right fit. Um, so I took a look at, okay, well, you know, what about the brown, brown haired boys? And there was oodles and oodles of brown haired boys that, that this couple could have. I guess that's the, just the dominant genes that they had. Yeah. And I started taking a look at the, the different options and, and something about it seemed like it, it, it fit better than some of the other options. And so I, I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, I want to be like, you know, the best looking guy on the planet. I want to be extremely good looking. That seemed like a, a better life for me. But while my parents definitely had those genes available to them, that, that was certainly an option. Uh, the guide has basically pointed out that I didn't have the self-control as a, if I was an extremely good, per, extremely good looking person, I didn't have the restraint to avoid certain temptations that would be, be available to me and that I would be too promiscuous. You know, I would, uh, uh be with too many women essentially. And that there was a, a, a spiritual downside to that that was obvious there in that, you know, while picking the body, it was obvious that being too promiscuous was not a good thing. So I basically lowered the, uh, the attractiveness down to a level that I considered to be attractive, uh, but not, you know, nothing extraordinary, just like a, a little bit attractive. Now I, I know, you know, at 47, maybe I'm not that good looking, but you know, 30 years ago, I was a little better looking and my looks then kind of matched, you know, they matched what I had picked, what I remember picking. And then I started looking at intelligence, you know, what kind of intelligence will I have with this new body? And I wanted to be the smartest guy on the planet, you know, I wanted to be ridiculously intelligent, like an Aristotle or um, Albert Einstein, you know, just, just a genius. And that was that my parents had those genes. That was something I could pick, but I was shown by the guides that, well, you know, if you pick this, you're going to develop into a very arrogant, kind of a loner person. You're going to resent people that aren't as smart as you, and you're going to be atheist. And that was not appealing to me at all. And I realized that, hey, that would be a big problem for me to be that intelligence. So like, like I had done with, with looks, I, I lowered the uh, intelligence down to something that I considered to be intelligent, but, you know, nothing extraordinary, nothing, uh, nothing remarkable. And when I found what I thought would be the, the right intelligence, I, I said, okay, you know, this, this looks good. And, um, you, you know, I, I picked the body that, that I thought worked well for me and, and would be a good fit. And I was shown that... Um, the, the genes I had picked, they would, you know, this wasn't something that was planned, but it was like a, a, a side effect that, that and an unattended part of the genes I had picked was that I would have really bad acne as a teenager. And from about 14 to 16, somewhere in there, I, I did have really horrible acne. But as a soul, I saw that um, even though this would be difficult, you know, two years of horrible acne and, and people being kind of mean to be about it, that it would actually, you know, help me in my development. And from this perspective as a soul, two years seemed like, seemed like it was almost nothing. It seemed so trivial. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to believe, but th that that's how I viewed it as a soul. Like, like two years is nothing. And it would help me on my, uh, you know, help me in my development. So it seemed like, okay, it'll help me. And it's only two years. I was willing to uh, accept that. And my guide showed me that there was a couple of things planned for my life. Uh, one was that my nose would be broken as a teenager. I was shown that um, I would dislocate, you know, that I would hurt one shoulder. Um, and then I was shown that I would 
break my other shoulder. And I took a closer look at that. And I was shown that, uh, you know, the, the technology was available to repair the shoulder and, and make it better. And it, it's kind of funny, but from that perspective, the, uh, the human technology seemed so primitive, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, like, like humans were living in the dark ages almost that they had primitive technology, but, but the primitive technology was good enough to fix my shoulder. So that, that was okay. You know, I was willing to, to go along with that. And then I was also shown that I could have a, a club foot. Somehow the genes were there for me to have a club foot, but that that would not be helpful to my development. It would just make my life a little bit more difficult. And it, it wouldn't help uh, like my, my friends or family. It, it wouldn't help anybody and it would make my life more difficult. So I, I passed on that. And, you know, I was shown that I would be circumcised and I needed to agree to that. And that, that seemed like um, something that was unnecessary and, and, and not really a good thing, but also it seemed kind of minor, you know, it didn't, didn't seem like a big deal as a soul. And so I agreed to that. And, uh, you know, we took a closer look at, at my family. Uh, I had a very good understanding of, of who my parents were, what they were like, you know, what they would be like as parents. I knew that I would have an older brother and I knew what, what our relationship would be like. And I, I had a good understanding of, of the family dynamic, you know, in short, I, I knew what I was getting myself into. Then I looked at the names that my parents might pick for me. And one of the names they were considering Aaron, it really worked. The name Aaron Thomas Green had a couple of hidden references in, inside that name related to, to me and my life that I, I really liked, like it really appealed to me. And I was able to exert, because this was the name that I was going to have, I was able to exert a little bit of uh, my will over my parents and push them in the direction to, to pick that name. And so I, I did, and I, I, I pushed them to, to, to pick that name, and they did. It was something they were already considering, so it wasn't, it wasn't difficult at all. So anyway, when all this stuff was picked, my guides and I, you know, we took another look at the entirety of my life, you know, what it was going to look like. And they again asked me, you know, are you, are you sure you're willing to do this? And, you know, I, I looked at the, the basic outline for the life, my life and the body and everything. And I agreed, you know, yes, I, I'm willing to do that. And then uh, that memory ended and I was back to floating there next to my body as a soul. And I started thinking, well, you know, I, I know everyone leaves this, this uh, earthly life behind sometime. You know, what, what happens to people after they die? You know, what happens there? And I was shown a couple different ways that, that different people might exist after they die. So the, the first place I saw was a really horrible place. It was a whole lot of souls that were, they were hideous and ugly. They had a, uh, like a really ugly body and, and they had claws instead of arms. And they were just um, fighting with each other constantly that they wanted to kill each other. And, you know, as much as they, no matter how much they fought each other, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't kill each other. They just would wound each other horribly and, and they would, they would suffer from, from those, those wounds, but they would never die. They just kept fighting forever. And, you know, as I was watching these horrible, horribly miserable souls fight with each other, uh, one of them decided to stop fighting. You know, it made the choice that it was going to stop fighting with these other souls. And as soon as that soul stopped fighting, there was, uh, so, some beings of light or, or angels, something like that, that had been above this horrible scene and they were observing all these souls fighting. And, and as soon as the soul decided to stop fighting, 
this this being of light or angel swooped down and and lifted this soul out of this horrible uh, this horrible battle. And I was told that when this soul decided to stop fighting, it no longer belonged in this this battle in this group, and that they had a way for this soul to uh, to to move forward to to progress. That that soul and all the other souls that that none of them were going to be stuck in this horrible situation forever. And then I was shown in another plane of existence where uh, souls were just kind of standing around in darkness and they were kind of like confused and they, they didn't understand where they were or what was going on. And they were unhappy, but they, they weren't miserable. And there were some higher level souls, I guess, some happier souls that were there trying to help them. And these happier souls, they had a way that, that they could help these, these unhappy souls and, and they were trying to help them. But all these unhappy souls in the darkness, they were mistrustful. They they, they didn't really be, they they had a, a difficult time believing that that someone was there to help them. That was kind of like a foreign concept to them. You know, they were not of the mindset to help anybody else, and so for them to accept that someone was there to help them was very difficult. Uh, but eventually, I, I saw one of these souls agree that it was going to go with these higher level souls, and that that they were going to help it, and that there was a way for that that unhappy soul to progress and become better and that none of these souls were going to be stuck there forever. And then I saw another place where, where these souls lived, uh, um, they were kind of unhappy and they, they, they lived in a place that was kind of like earth with, with buildings and roads. And, you know, they, they were unhappy, but, but not miserable at all. But, you know, I was also told that they, they wouldn't be there forever, that, that they could progress. And then um, I was shown a similar situation where it was kind of like earth. Um, you know, with buildings and, and streets and the souls in this place were happy. They, they were very happy uh, living this uh, existence kind of like earth. And then I was shown a city of light where the souls were extremely happy. It was kind of like the buildings and, and the people there and the roads, everything was made of light and everything was translucent. It was absolutely beautiful. And the souls there were, were very, very happy. And then I, I, witnessed even a higher level plane where, where the souls were kind of like flying around and um, uh, they, they were, they were so happy that they had trouble containing it. It was like, it was almost like they, they had, they were borderline overloaded with happiness. They were just, they were almost too happy. Um, and then of course, earlier I'd seen souls that were, were with God after they had been through life or, or whatever. And those souls were, were extremely, extremely happy. But after I, I saw these different, locations that these these different souls existed at it occurred to me like i remembered that you know when i was done with this life that i could go home that that's how i i thought of it and for me home meant this uh city of light like i i for some reason I, that's where i expected that i would be after this this life was over and i remember that you know i had i had friends that i would be able to see and and i was so happy that you know, I could go be with my friends, be in this happy place. And it was almost like as soon as I had that realization, a, a an angel or a being of light or, or some kind of high level soul came, came to me very quickly and said, you know, with, with telepathy, you are not to leave your body. It was as, as if I had done something wrong. Like I had um, almost like I had broken a rule. You know, I had done something I, I shouldn't have done. Uh, I guess my breathing problem uh, should not have triggered my soul to release from my body. But anyway, almost as soon as that happened, 
it was like, bam, I was back inside my body and I, I stood up. And at that point, my brother had uh, come over to, I guess, to see why, why I was just laying there on the ground. And as soon as I stood up, he, he, he turned around and went back to play with the friends. And I walked back home. I, I tried to explain what had happened to my mother. But at that age, I had a number of speech impediments. There was a lot of, uh, I had a lot of difficulty making a lot of words. You know, I, I spent years in speech therapy to get better at that. But I just could not explain what had happened to her at all. Um, she, she just couldn't understand it. I, I just wasn't able to explain it. So I, I gave up trying to explain it to her. Um, but I would think about this experience daily for months and months, trying to understand what had happened to me. And after maybe, uh, maybe six months, something like that, I was contacted by the same spirit guide who would help me pick this life. Like I, I, I didn't see anybody or, or see anything, but I could tell that I was being contacted by the same, um, the same guide. And the guide said to me, essentially, uh, we're going to need to hide these memories that you have. They're interfering with your life. It's causing you problems and, um, we're going to need to hide them. Um, but, but, you know, they needed my permission in order to hide them. They couldn't just force that on me. And I, I asked, uh, you know, why, why would you need to hide this? And one of the things they told me was that since I had this knowledge that I could never gate, I could never have faith. Like somehow the knowledge of what I had been through would prevent me from having faith. There's something about um, accepting the existence of God without having some kind of proof. There, there's something important about that that I didn't understand. I, I asked them to explain why faith would, would be so important, and they tried to explain it to me, but I just couldn't comprehend what they were trying to explain to me. But they told me, look, all you need to know is uh, faith is important. And so I, I agreed, and they they basically hid my memories from me. And I, I didn't think about what had happened to me at all after that. You know, I, I went through life um, in seventh grade. I got in a fight with another kid and he, he broke my nose. I, I had a black eye for weeks and, uh, you know, I had to get surgery to get the nose fixed. And it, it was a difficult experience. In, in seventh grade, having something like that happen, the entire school knew what happened. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a difficult experience, but I had no memory that I had agreed to that experience. And then uh, when I was 19, I dislocated my shoulder. No memory that I had agreed to that. And then when I was about uh, 35 or 36, I broke and dislocated my other shoulder. And that was a, a much more serious injury. I had to get surgery to get that, uh, that shoulder fixed. Uh, and that, you know, that was difficult to go through. But I, I had no knowledge that I had agreed to any of that. And then about 10 years ago, I was um, reading an article in Newsweek magazine, a guy named Dr. Eben Alexander, he, he was a neurosurgeon who had a, a near-death experience. And this article in this magazine was describing his experience and, and what, what he had seen. And um, since he was a neurosurgeon, he could, and he, while he was in a coma, he was hooked up to a lot of uh, brain monitoring equipment. And essentially the brain monitoring equipment, it, it verified that, you know, he, he was, he had no brain activity, but while, you know, he had no brain activity, uh, in his body, his soul was going through all this, all this different stuff, this really uh, intense experience. Anyway, there was something about his experience. It, it, it clicked with me and I, I accepted his experience. What he was saying is true. I thought to myself, wow, this is really neat. Um, you know, I, I guess it's, I guess it's all true. You know, I guess, wow, the, you know, God's really real and, 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 and that's all real. And when I accepted, you know, his story, when I, when I had, I guess, a, a deepening of faith 
when that happened, something was triggered, something happened, and, and my memories came back to me. The memory of what had happened when I was a child came back to me, and that was a pretty amazing experience. It, it was a wonderful feeling to, to, to remember, wow, you know, I had that experience as a kid, and I would think about that experience daily, again, just like I did when I was a kid. I was thinking about you know, this all the time and trying to, trying to come to terms and understand all this stuff that, that I now remembered. Um, and then, you know, fast forward 10 years later, here I am talking to you, Lee. <laughs> and it's an amazing story. There was one thing I wanted to ask you about. You had said in a previous conversation, you, I think you told me that you were present at your conception when the egg and the sperm joined together. Did you have a feeling that you could have entered the body at that time, or is the soul free to go into the body at any time up till birth? Right. Yeah, I think that God gives us as much freedom as as possible, and I think the soul, if I if I you know if I understand correctly, I think the soul is free to enter the body any time between conception and birth. Mm. And I don't think I fully uh, merged with this body until right before I was born. I think uh, you know I existed kind of like as a a, a free soul. It kind of partially merged with this body, yet not confined to the body uh, before birth. And I think it was only like right before birth that I, I fully merged and stayed in this body w w without without leaving. I think that that comports with other NDE years I've talked to who've had pre-birth experiences. And it's actually a factor that should be taken into consideration when people talk about, you know, abortion of a fetus that's not making it, for instance. Sure. The soul is not necessarily trapped in that fetus right it's free to come and go and perhaps even choose another another set of parents and be born right. there right. Yeah. we talked about when you were next to your body i think you said it was like a parallel dimension and that right. the grass was in two dimensions like, elaborate a little on that tell us how you saw it okay so i was in a realm that that looked very similar to the the earth plane but there was there were some noticeable differences like some of the buildings were there you know, like the building on earth was there in this realm as well, but the fence between the two houses were not. And there was grass kind of like, um, there, there had been on earth, but the grass was different. It was kind of disheveled. It was overgrown. It didn't seem like it had been tended to. It, <laughs> they, they looked alike, but somehow they were different. And it, it definitely wasn't, uh, it definitely wasn't the same. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure if I'm the best person to describe this, but the, the best I could say was it's like there's a parallel spiritual dimension that that's next to this uh, physical uh, plane of existence that we're on right now. And that, you know, when I left my body, I wasn't in this physical plane exactly. I was more like on this parallel spiritual plane, but I could look into the, the physical plane without any problem. Right. So there's a one way, it's like a one way uh, view. Right. From the, from the spiritual, you can look into the physical, but it doesn't work the other way. Yeah, yeah. Part. That's yeah. totally what it seemed like. The levels of heaven, I guess we'll call them, even though the first one was pretty ugly where everyone was fighting. I think you said that souls seem to group together according to their f similar frequencies. Right. So yeah. that you, if you've got angry souls, they're in there mixing it up with one another. Talk a little about that. And, and as somebody matures in their frequency, do they then jump to the next level, maybe to the darkness where they're uncomfortable but not fighting yeah, that, that's a good question. A couple of things about that I wanted to mention. One is here on earth, the way we look 
it, it doesn't really have any relationship to what kind of person we are on the inside. Mm -hmm. But in all these different spiritual realms that I, I looked at, the way the people looked or the way the souls looked was directly related to what kind of person that, or what kind of soul they were. So a angry, murderous person would have a really ugly soul and, and you know, a loving, kind person would have a beautiful soul and, and anything in between. There's like a frequency to all these different souls. Like the, the higher level of the frequency, the happier the soul is. Like, like um, murderous, hateful thoughts are kind of like a, a low vibration, whereas loving, uh, kind, compassionate thoughts are a higher vibration. And, you know, we end up, whatever our vibration level is, we end up with others who are kind of just like us. And it's not like we're being forced into that group. It's just kind of like where we naturally fit in. And that's where we're most comfortable, even if, uh, you know, it's a miserable state. Like at one point I witnessed a soul was at a, a, a certain level and they, they wanted to communicate with a, a lower level soul and that, that was possible, but they would have to lower their vibration essentially to match that lower level vibration. Wow. And that was relatively easy, but when they did that, they they lost some happiness and some intelligence in order to match the uh, the lower vibration. So you could move downward on the scale of, right. of frequencies too. You could move from a, a happy place to an unhappy place. Yeah, my understanding is it was real easy to move downward in vibration. Like that was no problem at all. But to move upwards in vibration, if a soul tried to do that, they would become uh, extremely uh, like irritated. And the, the further from their own natural vibration that they got, the more uncomfortable they would be. Mm. And that it just, uh, you know, it'd be so uncomfortable that they would flee and go back to their, their normal vibration or, or their, their natural vibration according to their, their own uh, level. But they could mature their vibration to a higher frequency. Right. Yeah. Uh, God had a way for all these souls and all these different levels that if they wanted to, and a lot of them were encouraged to, that, that God had a way that they could move to a higher vibration. In choosing to be Aaron, did you get a choice as to what vibration you'd be starting at? In other words, can you start at a, at a more loving place in life than others? Well, I think we have some some bearing on the... Uh, the, the parents that we get and the life we're going to choose. I, I certainly did. Yes. And you know, that, that affects how we're going to live our life, but there, there's kind of a twist to that. A soul that starts out in say a, uh, a family that is kind of dysfunctional and people aren't as nice. That soul, if they, let's say do a, a very small act of kindness, that small act of kindness has a, a much greater weight to it than a soul that has grown up in a very loving, kind family. And so there's kind of like a natural balance because uh, God understands everything that we, we face in life. And so that a person with a more difficult life, they're, they're not going to be, you know, not as much as expected of them. Whereas a person who, who was raised in a loving family, they would have greater expectation about how they're going to act in life. And so it kind of balance itself, balances out in a way. And it's, it's not quite as unfair as it, as it might seem because you think, uh, well, you know, a person growing up in a loving family is going to have a, a, a huge advantage over a person growing up in a in a more dysfunctional family. But my understanding is it's not quite that that simple. You foresaw yourself as going into the, I guess it was the translucent city, the the happy. That would be your destination when you when you die. But the sea of souls in God's face were expecting you at some time to join right. them. So that means you have to raise your frequency from the translucent city to the face of a God. 
yeah, that that's yeah, <laughs> that, that's kind of what it seems like. I, I uh, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but yeah, I think what you're saying fits pretty well. Wow. So we ha we're maturing even after we pass from the physical world to the spiritual world. We're not all set necessarily. Yeah, I feel like I had education before becoming Aaron Green. I'm not exactly sure what that looked like, but I I, I don't I don't feel like this is my first uh, education. And likewise, I think there'll be more education or, or learning for me after I, I leave this uh, this body. But again, I don't you know I don't I don't really know exactly what that would look like. So, what's your take on free will? Do you think uh, we continue to have free will in heaven? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know our free will is critical, and the further up we can go, the, you know, the further into heaven, the closer to God that we can get. It's directly related to our free will that that we freely embrace uh, the same kind of characteristics that God has. You know, that we we freely become loving, kind, compassionate. Uh, forgiving, uh, you know, nice souls that are, that are trustworthy and honest, that by embracing all those characteristics of our own choice, of our own decision, that we're able to then naturally fit in uh, with higher levels of, of God. You talked about basically two oceans. There was an ocean of souls that were getting ready to go through the process of living. And then there was the, the sea of souls or the ocean of souls that makes up the face of God. Right. How did the two compare? So the first Sea of Souls I was with, everyone was immature, uh, undeveloped, unexperienced. You know, I, I kind of view it as like baby souls, whereas the uh, the souls that were part of, you know, with God and God's face, they were mature souls who had been through the, uh, you know, this this education that we all have to go through and that they had gotten to where they needed to be and that they were sufficiently loving and and you know, they, they freely chose godly characteristics so that they fit in with God. And also they were much, much happier. You know, there's no comparison really in the, the happiness levels. So that's that's kind of the difference. It, it was kind of like the same thing, except uh, one group was immature and undeveloped, and the other group was uh, completely mature and completely developed and much, much happier. The different levels of heaven, do you get a, a an idea of what the landscape was like, for instance, where the ugly fights were going on and, and sure. of course, the complete dark, I guess, was just complete dark. But what were the towns like that you saw as well? Yeah. So the, at the lowest level, what I saw was like a, a rocky plain. There was a dark sky. And the only thing in the sky was, was a couple of angels who were monitoring the situation. You know, just dark and rocky, I guess, is, is how I'd describe one place. And uh, the other place, everything was just dark. You, you couldn't really see anything. It didn't look like any, anything was there that, that I could see other than the uh, the unhappy soul standing around. And uh, another level, you know, it looked like earth, but uh, with ugly buildings and, and kind of like dirt roads. Um, so those were kind of the lower levels. At, at the higher levels, there's another place that looked, looked just like earth, except it definitely was not earth. And they, they had buildings that were very nice and, and roads. And I, I remember looking at a lamppost and uh, it was almost like a recreation of a, of an earthly uh, town or city, only much more beautiful. And then the, the, the this other place was, was like a city made of white uh, with, with translucent buildings and, and streets that they looked like they were made of a, a gold light to me. And you could kind of see through them and yet at the same time you could see them. It was absolutely beautiful, and, and people were there were very happy. 
But then at even higher levels, it, it seemed like uh, the souls progressed beyond the notion of these physical objects that we're used to on Earth, like physical buildings and physical roads. And as they got to higher and higher levels, uh, the only thing that, that mattered to them was God and, and the souls around them. And that that's what gave them happiness and they didn't have any need anymore for like a, a physical building or anything like that. You actually gave me a wonderful image when you uh, yesterday when you said every near-death experience is another pixel in the right. picture. <laughs> but in the face of God, which is sort of like that too, even though we're merged together, it's not like a drop in the ocean that loses its individuality. We, we maintain our own, you stay Aaron, I stay Lee, right. even in the face of God. Yeah, that, that's what I saw was that they, they got the best of both worlds. They were both simultaneously uh, fully merged with God, and yet they, they maintained their own uh, uh, individuality and, and characteristics that, that, you know, what it looked like to me was, you know, they got their cake and they got, got to eat it too. You know, they could both enjoy all the benefits of being a unique personality and all the benefits of being fully merged with God and, and even like merged with each other. Mm. Wow. That's great. <laughs> I love that. My thoughts briefly on, on the, the argument that you uh, needed to develop faith. It's funny because I, I know NDEers who've said, I don't have faith anymore. I don't need it because I know for sure yeah. that God exists. But right. maybe as a six-year-old, it's a good thing to learn to believe without having seen necessarily. Yeah. And, and what I said, like, I think that was specific to me. Like my guides were talking to me about, you know, my faith and, and my journey. And, uh, you know, I, I asked them, I, I said, you know, it's when they wanted, when they wanted to hide this experience, I, I said, well, you know, don't you want people, don't you want people to know this stuff? And they said, yes, absolutely. Uh, but you know, as I took their comments, they were, they were talking about me and for me and my development as a six year old who, who had seen all this stuff, uh, you know, it, it kind of prevented me to develop faith. Yeah. Well, there are many Eddie's. We talked about this a little yesterday, yeah. too. I said something about, well, where did the Bible come from if it weren't people that had visions and dreams right. and NDEs and a whole set of spiritually transformative experiences? Yeah. Now, it took you quite a long time to remember and then start talking about your NDE, and it did for me as well. But what suggestions or advice would you give to people who've had NDEs who might be listening? Well, for me personally... I found it helpful to read uh, to read about other people's NDEs and and hear about other similar experiences and and it really helped me understand some some parts of my experience better. Uh, for example, you know I was only six when I had that that life review, and so my life review I think was was kind of short and not as uh you know I couldn't gain as much information from it. But but by hearing other people describe their life review, it really helped me understand mine better, um, and and. And then uh, there's kind of like a, a near-death experience community that I think it's helpful to uh, to, to talk to, to to some people that have had a similar experience um, because, you know, it can be difficult to try to tell friends and family or anyone about these experiences because they're they're not used to hearing them and, you know, they, they might not be ready to hear what you have to say. And that, that can be difficult to try to share these experiences with people who... Uh, who have never heard them before or, or aren't ready to hear them now. But it's helpful to uh, to hear other people who are in the same boat to hear what they've been through and, and what their experience is like. Yeah. 